So tonight we'll talk about step two, which says uh, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This is where we first encounter the concept of a higher power and pointing towards the idea of God and the steps and... and, um, So there's a lot to this step, and there's a lot I can say about it. Um, First of all, I think that the starting point of looking at this step is acknowledging that it's it's responding to step one. So step one says we admitted we were powerless. And so step two is saying we came to believe that there was another power. So it's it's very much related to that, right? It's not just randomly bringing up this idea of a higher power. It's saying, you know, that you have a problem that you can't handle. And, you know, as the steps say, <laughs> that there is some kind of, uh, that there's something that can help you. Um, now, when I first saw this step, I thought that what it meant was, uh, if you believe in God, you'll be okay. You know? And and I think that's a, f- a fairly common, probably, way of of understanding this step. Um, And now I would say it all depends how you define God, I guess. And that would be my uh, uh, first response to that. And it would also be that, that that's not at all the process that I see happening here. That in terms of a process, what step two is pointing to is the possibility of freedom or possibility of recovery. And so in the Buddhist framework, this parallels the third noble truth. So sorry for all the lists and numbers, but that's just kind of the way it works. That you know the the four noble truths, which I probably talked about last week, but it's always hard for me to remember a week ago. I know I was here. the first noble truth is the truth of suffering. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering. This is about clinging and our addiction. Right? The third noble truth says there's a possibility of freedom. There's a possibility of not suffering if we can let go. So that's, that's how I understand. Um, Step two, that it's, it's, it's saying that we believe that there is a possibility for, you know, as it says, sanity. But uh, even that word, uh, if we look for some connection with Buddhism, you know, what the Buddha talks about is delusion. Not understanding how things work. So... Uh, 
so that and understanding how things work is right view. So how do things work? <laughs> well, a couple of core ideas will help us to accept this step. So if we, so for instance, if you are willing to acknowledge that you do have this problem, and maybe you even acknowledge that you are an alcoholic, but you feel as if you can't change, you can't you know, get free of that addiction, then a Buddhist interpretation of step two can give you a little hope. Because there's a couple of fundamental principles of Buddhism that relate to this. The first one is the law of cause and effect, known as the law of karma. It says that actions bring results, which means that things can change. Another fundamental principle of Buddhism is that everything is impermanent, which means that everything actually is changing all the time. Now, depending upon how we act, that is, depending upon how we work with the law of karma, whether we work in harmony with it or out of harmony with it, things can change for the better or for the worse. Uh, but they're going to change, you know, either way. So it's up to us to act, to take the actions that will bring the effects that we want. So what the steps offer, what Buddhism offers, what a spiritual path offers, is the tools, is some guidance for the actions to take that will bring about recovery. So what the program offers is really complicated things like don't drink or use no matter what. <laughs> you know, suit up and show up. 90 meetings in 90 days. You know, just at all that stuff, those are actions. You know, it's just all it is. It's, they are actions and non-actions, both of which have karmic effects. The non-action of not drinking, not using, the action of showing up, going to meetings, working the steps, whatever your process is. I mean, it doesn't have to be that form. It could be Refuge Recovery, great program. Um, It could be uh, Rational Recovery. It could be Irrational Recovery. I don't care. Life Ring, Death Ring, the... What's the Wagner and the, the the ring cycle? It could be. Thank you. The Lord of the Rings. The of the Rings. <laughs> but the point is that we have to take actions which are going to incline towards recovery, right? And so the idea that oh, I can't do it, or you know, this doesn't work for me. It's like, okay. <laughs> there are certain requirements to recovery. I'd say the first one is just don't do that action anymore. If you're not willing to take that, rec- that step, then you can't really expect recovery. Right. So where's the higher power in all this? 
Isn't this just me and my will? Uh, my decision to do this? Well, that's one way of viewing it. And it's kind of an age-old argument, the question of self-will. But the argument that I make <laughs> is that the law of karma itself is a power greater than you. That you can't cheat the law of karma. You can't drink and use if you're an addict and not, you know, be, it, not harm yourself. You can't sort of uh, say, "Well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get all the benefits of recovery, but I'm not gonna take the actions that are involved in it," right? Because the law of karma just doesn't allow that. Now, I, I don't know if that's makes sense to you, um, but you know uh, these next couple weeks, I'll definitely be talking a lot about the law of karma because this is really uh, at the heart of the third step for me as well. So, uh, let me let me um, talk a little bit more about some other elements of this step. The the step you know starts by saying we came to believe. So this idea of belief or faith or trust is you know, essential to this process. And this is another place where people can really get stuck because a lot of us um, really resist. Uh, any kind of religious faith. And again, I think reading the step, you can think, oh, this is a religious uh, program. But again, looking at sort of the practical implications of belief, what I believe, I act on. If I believe that I can't get sober or that I can't, you know, give up whatever this behavior is, then I won't, if I believe it's not possible. So there's this kind of idea out there that, you know, if you just believe in something, it'll happen. And, you know, this is the idea of, of kind of blind faith or religious faith. You know, if I just believe in this good thing, then it'll happen. But it, and, and it may be true that, just our mental focus on something has some transformative effect. I don't know. I don't have a strong belief in that. <laughs> but I won't deny it because the power of our minds, of our thoughts, we don't know what their power is, particularly when they're very focused and concentrated. Um, but what's uh, what I do absolutely believe is that you know, if I act on a belief or if I don't act on a belief, that's definitely activating the law of karma. There are going to be results. I'm certain of that. You know? Those actions can take the three forms of action, which include thought, thought, words, and deeds. So all of those have karmic effects. 
So, you know, Buddhism is, people often think, you know, Buddhism is like a non-faith-based religion. You know, this is one of those terms that I find, uh, don't care for, faith-based. Anyway, uh, it's useful in this context. However, you don't have to dig very far into Buddhist teachings to discover that faith is actually a key element of Buddhism. A couple of very important lists. The, the list called the spiritual powers the Buddha talks about include faith. Just to show up here, to come in here and come to this class shows a certain amount of faith. It doesn't mean you believe that you know, the world's going to turn upside down tomorrow. But it shows that you believe that by showing up here and making some kind of effort that you're going to get some benefit. I would say that to show up here, close your eyes, and do nothing for half an hour shows a lot of faith. Because in our culture, that's very much like, that's ridiculous, that's a waste of time. There are shows you could be watching. There are websites you could be surfing. You know, you you could be productive. You could be, you know, writing a blog right now. You You could be taking a nap. At least you'd be getting some sleep. You You just came in here and did nothing for half an hour. So, and, and, to, and what happens when you're sitting here doing nothing? Actually, a lot happens. It's kind of, a lot of the time, it's kind of annoying. You know? There's all these thoughts, and you're sitting there, and you're kind of uncomfortable, and you're like, you know, this guy's like trying to give you guided instruction. You're like, Ugh, I wish he'd shut up. You know, I'm trying to meditate. Or I can't do what he's saying. What's wrong with me? So it takes a lot of faith to do this practice. And it takes faith in the practice, a belief that what I'm doing here is really going to have value. And just as much, it takes faith in yourself. Because the main, I would say, the main problem, both in recovery and in Buddhist practice, is our lack of faith in ourselves. I can't do this. This isn't going to work for me. Oh, it'll work a little bit, but there, you know, I'll never be like Kevin. You know, uh, hopefully you don't put me up as a model of anything, or you know, I'll never be like Jack Cornfield. You know, I mean, I can meditate, but I could, I could never go on a retreat. I mean, wow, silent for five days. Oh, wow, belief. I just had a belief that I couldn't go on a retreat. Oh, guess what? I'm never going to get the benefit of going on a retreat because I don't believe that I can do it. This is the power of belief. And this is why it's so important to examine our beliefs, to look at them. You know, it, and whether, as I say, you know, whether a powerful faith in something has some actual kind of effect out there, maybe. You know, it, there's, there is stuff in the world that's not explainable. Uh, but um, 
but for sure, right here and now, it's having an effect. So one of the things that I tell people in treatment centers when I, when I visit uh, is uh, you're, you've already taken step two by showing up at this treatment center. You, know, you believe that there's power in this place, in this program. Just like you guys came here, you believe that there's a power in this practice, in these teachings. And by, you know, and as well, you believe that there's a power inside, in, within you. you know. Because this, pra- this practice and this program doesn't really work without you, you know. You're not just like a passive observer in this thing. You're engaging in something. And and your higher power or the you know, your Buddha nature or whatever you want to call it is is involved in this. Your capacity for wisdom, your capacity for goodness. That's all there. Now, this is one of the places where uh, we run into Apparently, I don't know how to turn off my, the sound on my new phone, so I'm sorry. I, I thought I turned it off, but it's overriding my desire. Oh. But I, do, I did set up with nice, like harmonic, so it's a, it's a guitar going ding ding. One of the places where this kind of talk about higher power that power is within me, seems to conflict with some of the 12-step teachings, if you will, or literature that talks about, you know, we have to get away from ego and and we have to turn it all over to God because we can't sort of trust ourselves. Um, you know, when we say, I, I don't, well, when we talk about our own the higher power within us, there can be really this question of, wait a minute, like, am I saying that I'm God? And that's, isn't that what the 12 steps say we shouldn't say? Um, so one of the things I'll point to is that in step 11, it says that we, you know, praying for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. And then in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about us developing our own intuition, and that we come to rely upon that. And that actually what we're trying to do is cultivate our own power. And so what the way I parse this out is that when we talk about the self that's a problem in recovery, we're talking about the ego-centered, the self-centered, the selfish, the pleasure-seeking, all of that stuff. And we can see that, you know, there are different aspects of the mind, of the heart-mind, and, you know, the, and these parallel, you know, centers of the brain, so the lower centers of the, of the brain that are just driven by instinct, by grasping, by greed, by pleasure-seeking. When that stuff runs us, that's, that's addiction. You know. When we are relating from the higher centers of the brain, 
those are those are driven more by wisdom, compassion. Now, and, and and so I would say that part of what we're doing here in this practice is we are learning to discern when different parts of our mind are running the show, you know, and when that craving comes up or when the you know anger, all those things, we feel that energy, you know kind of come through, and when we become aware of it and we reflect on it, we know, oh, wow, that, that wasn't really skillful, that wasn't wise, that's not really who I want to be. And then other times when there's real clarity, when there's a sense of openness and connection, we can say, oh, yeah, that's where I want to be. So part of what we're doing here is cultivating the capacity to discern those and, again, to kind of reinforce those higher centers or more positive qualities in the mind. So there's no doubt that there's risk in this kind of view. And, and this is, again, referred to in the big book. It was like, we, we'll make mistakes. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of misjudge, misjudge where, what our motivation is or what our intuition is telling us. But, but without that, if we're not trying to cultivate that within ourselves, then we're never really free, I don't think. I think that, you know, recovery is, we're trying to get to a point where we're not, um, we're not enslaved by our addictions. But we're, but we're also not, you know, completely dependent upon someone else or something else. Uh, so, you know, the Buddha would, his fo- with his followers, when they got to a certain point of progress and awakening, even if they wanted to stay with him and hang out, he would say, no, Go. <laughs> Go, go out, you know, spread the teachings, carry the message, you know. And because he would want them to be able to stand on their own. Well, I have gone into a bunch of places I didn't know I was going to go tonight. Um, I want to do a... Uh, so, I want to, I want to do a, an exercise where you guys work together and um, this is the spiritual history exercise and and the reason I want to do this and the reasoning behind this exercise is that when we come into recovery or a program or or indeed you know studying Buddhism we carry all the baggage of our history particularly around religion and spirituality. And our attitudes are very much affected by that. So particularly if we've either been alienated by uh, a religious experience or we've found ourselves deluded uh, in some uh, 
spiritual path, I mean, as, I, as I experienced both of those and, and other things. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I was raised Catholic and I was a very devout Catholic as a ki- little kid. And then, you know, as a teenager, kind of got alienated by Catholicism and then started to explore all these other different spiritual paths. And some of them were like really out there. And then I discovered Buddhism and that really resonated for me. And I see that kind of my Catholic upbringing and my uh, all those experiences have conditioned how I practice and how I view the world and my spirituality today. And it's helpful for me to look at that, to kind of see that, oh, my beliefs today are not facts. They are conditioned by all my life experiences and my own tendencies and personality. So that's what I would like you to look at in small groups. This exercise is on uh, page 84 of this workbook. Um, So uh, maybe I think I've explained it enough. So shall we do the counting off thing for groups? And uh, it, we, it looks like we've got, I'm not sure, numbers, a lot of people. You know, I just comment that a lot of people came late tonight, which I understand because it was actually hard for me to get here on time. And uh, I don't know if it would be illegal for us to make the class start at 7.15, but uh, I'd be willing to discuss that with you guys if... If you wanted to, you want to take a vote. How many people would like it to start at seven fifteen instead of seven o'clock? Nine fifteen. Oh, so we just okay. I guess not. No. All right. What? Be more on time. Okay. What? Yeah, but isn't that the story of? Anyway, all right. Well, we'll leave it at 7 o'clock, and that's good because other people who show up won't be here early. But Okay, so let's... Yes? Can we stay with our same pods that we were with last week? Yes. Uh, is, how many people are here who weren't here last week? Okay, so, um, so that means everybody else was in a group last week. Mm-hmm. So uh, raise your hands again. Okay, let's just have you guys count off. So one... Two, who else? Three, four. So I think we had, how many groups did we have? Five. We had six? Okay, so you guys can be in groups one, two, three, and four. Okay, so group one will meet over here. Group two back there. Group three in the middle. Group four over there. Group five, group six, something like that. Anyway, we're kind of working our way around. And and if, uh, and if uh, hopefully somebody has the workbook, you can...
So we have run out of time, and I am sorry if everyone didn't get to share. You are, you can always probably stay here for a few minutes, but this is a good reflection to do in an ongoing way. I think I don't think uh, you just have to do it once. Um, there is homework, a sheet with all the homework for the eight weeks of the class back on the table back there. If you are really stuck around higher power, I have all the answers in my book, A Burning Desire. If you want the workbook, it's on the other side. The Burning Desire and One Breath at a Time belong to Spirit Rock, and you're paying them. I own the other books until you buy them. So uh, I hope you can make it next week. Do try to be on time, but we forgive you if you aren't. Better to show up late than to not show up at all. Don't use that as an excuse to not come. And God bless you all. Whatever the hell that means. We don't have time. It's nine o'clock. I'm sorry, but it's just so much to do together. I hope it was useful. Drive safely. Breathe. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.